back during World War II, after the air raids came through England and Wales, there were thousands of orphans left on the street. And they were left on the street to really fend for themselves. They began to starve, lacking their basic needs. So many were rescued and brought to orphanages where they could at least be cared for. Initially, there was an issue, though. When they would go to bed, many children couldn't sleep because they were worried about not eating the next day or not having a place to live. And so somebody came up with an idea that they would give each child a loaf of bread to hold on to at night. And so it happened that when they would wake up, they'd have this bread in their hand, they'd realize, I ate yesterday, and here I will eat tomorrow. And it helped. They slept better. We have five basic physical needs to live that we can't go without. Food, air, water, sleep, and shelter. Food, air, water, sleep, and shelter. If we're missing one of these things, we won't go for long. And of course, these things are of different importance as well. Yet we have not just physical needs, but we have spiritual needs for our soul. Things that we can't go without for long. Kind of making a connection between those physical needs and the spiritual needs. I'm introducing this next series for Lent that Father Tom and I are going to be preaching on, and that's the five alive practices that Bishop presents in his letter. I really think that they can correspond with those physical needs. The one, the last one, number five, is the rosary. Think about shelter. We can be sheltered beneath Mary's mantle beneath her protection. The next one is confession. I think about sleep. Not because, you know, Father's sleeping, so don't wake him up. But just like sleep is sort of a reset, confession gives us that reset, a start to a new day. The other one is adoration. Spending time before the blessed sacrament. So I think about water and how Jesus, when he's with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he says that he is the living water. As we spend time in Jesus' presence, we drink from that endless fount. The other one is prayer. So I think about air and how we need to breathe all the time. And prayer can be this permeating aspect of our life that gives us life. As we heard in that first reading from Genesis today, God breathes life into humanity. And then the first one on Bishop's list is 
the Mass. We've been talking a lot about the Mass the last seven weeks, and really today is the final piece as the Mass is the foundational practice of those five alive practices. And in the connection with the Mass, there is that food. And how there might be a deeper hunger that we seek beyond the physical hunger. In the Gospel, we kind of hear that. Jesus is led into the desert and really the understatement of the whole Bible, I think, we say, it says Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and afterwards he was hungry. Yet there is this deeper hunger he points to as Jesus said, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. God's word. God's eternal word, the Son spoken, made flesh for us in the Eucharist, feeds us. He gives us the bread of life in the Mass. And that can become something we don't just do, but something we really need, something we can't go without for more than a week. With that, I'd like to just share with you my story of conversion in terms of the Eucharist and how it has become something I really, really need. When I was real little, I remember going with my family to Mass. We'd have this particular route through town that we would go and I would always look for the buildings that we would pass by and we'd get to the church and walk in. I liked seeing some of my friends. I liked the fact that it was something I could rely on. If my family was going to church, I knew with my small scope of the world as a child, things were okay. Things in my family were good. It was something that gave me peace. Later when I began preparing for my first communion, Around second, third grade, I developed something called Tourette's Syndrome. Tourette's Syndrome. And I had all these tics, and I couldn't sit comfortably, and it was very difficult for me to be at Mass sometimes. Once in a while, my mom would have to take me outside so I could just let everything out. And that was, that was okay, right? That was okay. I bring this up because there is one point where my mom said something that really struck me. We were outside of the church one day and I was kind of having these issues and my mom realized that she was not going to be able to receive communion that day. And so she expressed that. She expressed, I feel bad I won't be able to receive communion because it's something I really need. Is something I really depend on each week to help me give strength to my week. She wasn't making me feel bad at all, but it really made sense. Perhaps that moved me a little bit from seeing my need for communion in a deeper way. 
Later in middle school, high school, my main kind of need in going to Mass was the community. I liked, again, being part of that community. I liked also being able to share my gifts and talents. I was a singer and a musician, so, so I was in the choir and sometimes played an instrument. And that was good to grow as a person and as a disciple of Christ. But as I went to college, I knew that there was still probably something more. There's still something deeper in this relationship with Jesus and the Mass that I hadn't yet realized. See, when I was in college, it kind of began to be clear to me that my life was compartmentalized. I was one Kevin for my family, one Kevin for my rowing team, one Kevin in class, one Kevin with the people inside church, one different Kevin in private. And I realized that there was more to life. But what was it going to be? Ultimately, it would become the Eucharist as the unifying factor for my life. As I went to Mass in college, it was really cool because it was all college students and the priests were just talking right to us. And one thing that really, really was kind of a kickstarter for my spiritual life and growing in that relationship with the Eucharist and Mass was this. I learned that it's important to receive communion in a state of grace. To receive communion in a state of grace. I didn't know what that meant. So the best analogy that I got, and I think is really helpful, is this. Think of a water faucet. It's got pressure of the water coming through it. It could be closed or open or halfway. And that water is like God's grace, right? Instead, Jesus provides that living water. When we commit a big sin, it's like that faucet gets closed. And we can't fully drink from the grace God wants to give us. And when we go to confession and confess our mortal sins, those breaking the Ten Commandments, willingly and knowingly, God opens that faucet in our soul and we can fully drink then from God's grace. So here's why that excited me because sometimes I would go to Mass and I didn't really feel I was getting much out of it. And I realized, wait, that faucet needs to get opened. And so I decided to try God, to try that teaching, to try living that out. You know, the gospel says, you know, thou shalt not test the Lord our God. But I feel like God was kind of putting it to me, saying, try me, see if it works. See if you come closer to me in the Eucharist. And it did. And God's grace really began to flow. I wouldn't go to communion unless I, have, I was in that state of grace 
because I realized this relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist was real, and it was something good. This is actually something that Bishop Rickon wants us to know that he wrote in his letter on this section. He said, with this idea of having us fully receive God's grace, he said, please, if you miss a Sunday Mass, go to confession before your next Sunday Mass. What a beautiful reality it is to fully be able to receive God's grace. So that for me was huge. My life began to be more consistent, my private life, public life, as I began to go to Mass more regularly and my life, little by little, became focused on Jesus in the Eucharist. Eventually, I would discern the call to the priesthood. I remember that first time celebrating Mass. It was in a monastery, the Carmelite Monastery over in Denmark. A beautiful, beautiful reality. I got to say Mass a couple times in the chapels of Mother Teresa's order, the Missionaries of Charity. And in their chapels, it says on the wall for the priest to read, Father, celebrate this Mass as if it were your first Mass, your last Mass, and your only Mass. So I began to pray that now as a priest. And it's helped me to pray the Mass more deeply, more consistently. So I pray that before we begin. Brothers and sisters, Mass can become not something we, we do, but something we really deeply need deep down in our souls. Just like those children who held on to that bread, we can hold on to Christ in the Eucharist, knowing that he was with us today, he will be with us tomorrow. Tomorrow.